big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin this week's episode, we want to thank our newest patron, Guy. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like Guy and get access to exclusive content like outtakes, fun facts, and monthly live streams, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. Speaking of live streams, we've got another one coming up this Saturday, April 24th. The details for that are on our Patreon, so if you want in, sign up to be an estate or pod squad level patron today. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 7 through 9 of Sense and Sensibility. Listeners, Molly and I are both vaccinated fully at this point in time. We have been, like, super pandemic safe the entire pandemic, and we continue to be. But the other weekend, I was, like, here with Mike, and I had, like, a weekend's worth of interaction. Wow. It was wild. Because one of my friends, she has a new boyfriend, and, like, we all had, like, a socially distanced wine and cheese in her backyard. Really nice. And then the next day, like Mike went home and I had a hike with two of my friends. Oh, I saw on your Instagram story. It was so nice. Wow. And I would like I went home and I was like, I had like a social interaction on Saturday and a social interaction on Sunday. Like pre-pandemic, that would have been a reasonable amount of social interaction for a weekend. Mm-hmm. I need more people. I need them. I need them. Y'all, the earth is healing. Or or rather, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to see it. And like, I'm still, I could not see a light two weeks ago. And I just feel like there is the possibility that things may become a sort of normal like I don't need to hug anybody I just want to sit six feet apart from you and like look at your face I need to hug people (laughs) I do miss hugging but I miss hugging so much I don't know who around here I'll hug because most of my friends are in New York or California but maybe I'll date somebody yes (laughs) who knows (laughs) speaking of romance sense and sensibility is heating up all right This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about chapters seven through nine of Sense and Sensibility. And listeners, if you're new here, which I don't think that you will be on this episode, but just in case, I, Molly, have never read any Jane Austen. And I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen. Many a Jane Austen. (laughs) And together, we are making our way through the Jane Austen canon. This is season two, covering Sense and Sensibility. If you want to hear Pride and Prejudice, check out season one. Yeah, it's great. If we do say so ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) And this includes both the books and a lot of the media content that surrounds it. Mostly movies, also TV. Yes. Mm. And I have an alcohol. Becca, what are you drinking? Tell the people. It's uh, Grey Goose Vodka, Elderflower Liqueur, Seltzer, Lime Juice, and uh, Meyer Lemon. And what are we going to call this beverage? Hmm. That's a good question. A dashwood of 
Hang on. A dashwood of Meyer lemon. Uh, and, a, and a dashwood of Meyer lemon. Um, well, ooh, you know what we could do? We could make cocktails and have our patrons name them. Oh, yes. Okay. That could be fun. So let me describe it again so that our patrons know. It's uh, one part vodka, one part elderflower liqueur, and then a dash of lime juice, half a Meyer lemon, and just topped off with seltzer, shaken, and poured. That sounds so good and refreshing, kind of like a, a boozy Sprite. I love a boozy Sprite. I don't like Sprite, but I like all of my cocktails to be a little bubbly and very sour. Yeah. Ooh, okay, so so patrons, that's going to be your job. Let us know on Patreon what you think that should be called. Sense and Sensibility themed preferably, but it could be Pride and Prejudice also. Yes, both are fine. Yeah. Or like just Jane Austen generally, not like with the books that we haven't read yet, but like if it's called like a like a gin Austin. Right, but there's no gin in it, but yeah. A Colin Firth <laughs> fizz or something. A Colin Firth? <laughs> oh my God. Call it Colin Firth sideburns <laughs> instead of a sidecar. So delicious. You just want to sip them up. Ugh, gross. All right. Gross, so, Becca, gross. <laughs> today, we are talking about chapters seven through nine of Sense and Sensibility. My first note in chapter seven was why is everyone's name John? Which is something I didn't realize until now, but we've got John Dashwood, who is the Dashwood's brother, and John Middleton, who is the Dashwood's cousin. Because it's like, I don't know, like England. I mean, this happens in the U.S. today still. That's true. In my year in our theater program, we had like, what, how many actors? 25. Mm -hmm. And three of them are John and all three of them lived together. Yes. There was like a three John house. It's just how it is in society. However, so yes, this is true. John is a very common name. But when you're writing a book, you can pick other names. Like you are making this world. I'm going to stop you there because this is kind of a spoiler, but not really a spoiler. Is everyone named John in every Jane Austen book? Just get ready for a lot of name overlap in Austen books. At least it's not Fitzwilliam. That was too much for me. He's he's a special, delicate flower of his own making, Fitzwilliam Darcy. But Fitz, there was two Fitzwilliams is the thing. Like, and I know, listeners, I get it that Fitzwilliam, Colonel Fitzwilliam has the last name and Darcy's mother's maiden name was Fitzwilliam. I get it. But what the fuck? <laughs> like, Jane Austen, you can pick the names. Anyway, let's get into the, the meat and potatoes, or the tofu and sweet potatoes, as it were. So the Middletons always have guests over, and it turns out this is just because they are boring people. John is a sportsman, so he's only occupied with his job for half the year, and Lady M is a mother, and because she's a mother, she obviously can have no other occupation than hanging out with her kids. They're just bored, like, all the time. Yeah, it was, I was like, oh, they seem like interesting people. I'm interested by them. And then it straight up says, having guests was necessary to the happiness of both for however dissimilar in temper and outward behavior, which they are, they strongly resembled each other in that total want of talent and taste which confined their employments and connected with such a society produced within a very narrow compass. Yep. I mean, everyone knows someone who's, like, the boring one in a group of friends. And these two together are just both boring. Yes. So too bad. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. They are very hospitable because that's his thing and elegant because that's her thing. And they love throwing parties because she gets to be all elegant and like make elegant table settings and he gets to collect young people. 
I did want to comment on when it said that he was gathering all of these young people to his house. It felt very Horace Slughorny. A bit, a bit. There's like a bit of a status thing to it. A flattering reading of John Middleton is that he's very friendly and likes talking to people. And we all know people like that. Yeah, I think he seemed cool. But I I mean, the less flattering reading here is that like, he's someone who likes to feel like he's in the popular group. Yes. And he's trying to get into the popular group by being wealthy and having parties. Yes, it definitely, I would err on the side of that based on the descriptions that we get of him. I kind of liked this. So it said he was a blessing to all the juvenile part of the neighborhood for in summer, he was forever forming parties to eat cold ham and chicken out of doors. What is it with this time period and cold meats? I I mean, part of it is it's like they don't have a microwave to heat them up later. Mm -hmm. But but I mean, none of the food sounds appetizing. No, at all. No, cold. I mean, okay. from when I used to eat chicken, cold chicken could be the bomb. And I guess it depends on the ham. I I was partial to a prosciutto back in the day. Yeah, I don't like I I don't like ham. I haven't eaten ham in. 15, 16 years, but... Wait, how long have you been vegetarian? Um, Since I was 10. So you also haven't eaten chicken in that long either. Yeah, but I can remember tasting a good chicken. Okay, I'm just gonna say, I've been a vegetarian since... Well, I've been a pescatarian since... It's been about nine years now. So I was 19, 18 or 19 years old when I became a pescatarian. And so I remember meat Mm -hmm. very well. I'm gonna say... I didn't like the same meat at age 10 that I liked at age 19. That's fair. I think that when I ate meat, I didn't have a refined enough palate to be able to tell the difference. And I used to call everything chicken. Like I really liked pork. And so whenever we had like pork loin, I would be like, this is great. What kind of chicken is this? <laughs> Literally words straight from my mouth. <laughs> like so like there is some ham that I liked when I was 10. But there is a lot of really beautiful, like, high quality ham out there that I did not appreciate as much until my, like, teenage years. Very fair. I didn't mean to get us on a tangent about the cold meats. I even, like, specifically was like, Molly, don't quote this part. But then I just, I went for it anyway. You know what? I'm into it. I looked at that and I was like, you know what? It's relevant. It's very evocative because, like, it's supposed to be all lovely and it sounds awful. It does. So the next sentence, though, is the one that I actually wanted to quote because I'm not entirely sure what it's supposed to mean. So that was about summer, the cold meats. In winter, his private balls were numerous enough for any young lady who was not suffering under the insatiable appetite of 15. Does this mean, Becca's nodding because I think it means what I think it does, but that like, if they weren't 15 or younger, where your appetite is to go to like hundreds of balls... So, like, it was good for the older women. It's basically, like, if you're not obsessed with partying, this is enough partying to satisfy you. Okay, cool. That's what I was hoping it meant, because I got a little bit weirded out by the insatiable and 15. No, there's a lot of, like, oh, he likes the young people, where you're like, "Mm." I was like, "Mm but I think Jane Austen is just trying to make a point that he like likes to be social and likes to have the status of being social. Got it. So because he likes to be social, he is thrilled that the Dashwoods are there because there are three daughters and they are all unaffected, meaning I guess pretty normal because to be unaffected was all that a pretty girl could want to make her mind as captivating as her person. So like as long as you're not like I'm just picturing he doesn't want Olivia Bennett in his presence. 
basically, I mean, like the dashboard girls are both catches, like the ones who are beige. Yes. Margaret's awesome too. But yeah, fucking love Margaret. Justice for Margaret. Yes. But she's youthful. So taking her out of the equation for right now, Marianne and Eleanor are uh, both very pretty and very smart and very personable. Yeah. And therefore they have a lot of quality that make them good company. And they're very marriageable in terms of their persons, if not their social status. So, yes, that brings me to my next question, which was it says something about him being happy because he has all of his sporting men friends over and he wants women around to keep the men happy. Is he trying to pair them all off? Oh, yeah, there's definitely some like booby bullshit going on here. Mm hmm. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. <laughs> so the Dashwoods come to dinner at Barton Park and John tells them, unfortunately, there's only one man that will be joining them and he is neither very young nor very gay. And I would like to beg to differ because I think that everybody's gay. But also I get it. No, I I, I saw that and I was like, Molly's going to focus on the, the gay. <laughs> Basically, they're describing another Mr. Darcy. That's like the vibe that I'm getting from this man who is, as of yet, unnamed. Another guest will be Lady Middleton's mother, Mrs. Jennings. She is dope as hell. She is the best. I mean, she's she's outrageous, but she's so fun. Becca was so excited to get to this part. Do I just love the old ladies in Jane Austen books? Yeah, I mean, who are you going to relate to? <laughs> I feel like I feel like that makes a lot of sense for you and your typecast. Hey, hey now. I mean, am I wrong? No, I was cast as a lot of old women. I have a very deep voice and a full figure. <laughs> cut that. Cut that. <laughs> and I can't cut that. Becca, you know I can't. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so she's great. She is vulgar. She's constantly making jokes about like people's romantic interests, basically everything that you were saying. Also, she's like plump and happy and just like a good time. Like you want to be around her. So she's joking about the girls and their lovers and she hopes that none of them left their hearts behind and Marianne gets pissed. She's like, Eleanor's going to be so sad. I got to get angry on her behalf because she doesn't realize how much this is going to hurt her. And But it was all in good fun. So Eleanor, I mean, Marianne's getting annoyed about nothing really. I mean, in my opinion. Well, I mean, it's like, Marianne's like, oh my god, this is the touchy subject. Are you gonna be okay? And Eleanor's like, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can picture them like all at the dinner table and Eleanor is just like eating her fucking soup and Marianne is like kicking her under the table like, oh my god, are you okay? Or like squeezing her hand. And Eleanor's I was gonna like, say, she's like, I need my hand. I'm, I'm eating. Yeah, I need my hand for my soup. <laughs> or my cold ham. Yeah, or cold chicken. Who knows? Is it summer or winter? Depends. I don't, I don't remember. I think it's summer. And okay, so here we go. Turns out the man's name is Colonel Brandon. Dear listeners, it's time I inform you that I did find out that there was a character named Colonel Brandon and that he is played by Alan Rickman. So this was, I have in my head that this is Alan Rickman. And I'm bummed about that. It was an accidental spoiler. I stumbled across it. Nobody's fault. If you think about it this way, you knew like certain actors in Pride and Prejudice while we were reading too. So it's not the end of the world. That's true. Only Colin Firth and Keira Knightley who were in the movie together. <laughs> um, it's not the end of the world, but I do have Alan Rickman in my head. 
this man, like I said, is basically Darcy. He's just like kind of silent. He's older. It says that it makes no more sense that he is John Middleton's friend than it makes sense that Mrs. Jennings is Lady Middleton's mother because while Mrs. Jennings is like dope as hell and Lady Middleton sucks, John is so like buoyant and like friendly and Colonel Brandon is like a rock in the corner, kind of like a Bingley Darcy vibe I'm getting. Uh, Yeah, except that Colonel Brandon is very distinct from Darcy in one specific way, which is that Darcy came off as very Mm hoity-toity and cold, whereas I think Colonel Brandon comes off very polite, just sort of reserved and serious. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, that's kind of, that's the vibe I'm getting. Like, I don't hate him. In fact, I quite like him. He has not yet said two words, but I think I like him. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) So it goes on to describe him and that he's he's not unattractive. He's just silent and grave. He's, quote, old at 35. Uh, They think he is. There's a whole discussion about this in the next chapter, but we'll get there. His countenance is sensible and he is very gentlemanlike. Mm -hmm. I liked the use of the word sensible here. It's in the title. It's in the title. The Dashwoods wouldn't really get along with any of these people at the dinner party, except for the fact that and I wrote in my notes to read this part. There was nothing in any of the party which could recommend them as companions to the Dashwoods. But the cold insipidity of Lady Middleton was so particularly repulsive that in comparison of it, the gravity of Colonel Brandon and even the boisterous mirth of Sir John and his mother-in-law was interesting. I liked that. It's just like they're observing this party and they're having a good time because of it. It's also like if one person at a party particularly sucks, you're going to be like, okay, who's out? who else is here? I can work with this. Yeah, 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 exactly. So after dinner... They ask Marianne to play the piano. She plays and sings. She's very good. While she's playing, John is very loud and Lady Middleton keeps hushing him up and is like, appreciate the music, please. And he's like, oh, 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 sorry. And um, (laughs) Colonel Brandon is the only one who's actually listening to her without being in raptures about it. He's not like, oh my God, you're so talented. He's just listening and appreciating it. And she recognized that he has taste which is important to her. I would like to just throw that out there. Marianne has said from the beginning that taste is important to her. And she thinks that he's genuinely listening to her and not like making a show of listening to her, which is important. I mean, that sentiment is very beautiful. Yes, it is. It is. But also it's mostly in comparison to the people who are around her. You know, it's like, does he actually like the music or is he just the only one not being absurd? I also think like the idea of like him not being in raptures, but him simply listening. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're an artist. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist. I like when people are in raptures. (laughs) Give me attention. (laughs) But somebody just like taking the moment to really like contemplate your art. Yes, that is meaningful. It's a very profound thing. Yeah. And it shows that they're like actually trying to appreciate it and not just make you feel good because someone being like, that was great. Like, it looked like you're having fun. Like, that's always like, "Mm." I mean, there's also just like, oh, beautiful. Like, I love my family. But sometimes they'll be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. That was amazing. We love that. But like when someone like is like a little bit more like stern about it and doesn't have like incentive to say nice things about it and just is kind of taking it in, I'm like, okay, okay. Like when someone takes it very seriously, when they like look at you as the artist, it's important. Right. And they are not, it's not just to make you feel good. Yeah, that is important. So good on him. He does that. But then at the end of the chapter, she attributes his good taste to him being old, which again, he's not. 
I mean, this also gets to the fact that Marianne is very young. Yes, and we'll talk about that more in oh, we will. <laughs> the next few chapters. But, like, they just keep talking about him being old, and we'll get there. So, chapter eight. Mrs. Jennings is a widow with ample jointure, which I did have to look up. And it means she was settled with an estate instead of a dowry when her husband died. She has two daughters, and they're both already married, so now she's moving on to marry the rest of the world. I love her. I mean, like, thriving. She's not Lady Catherine de Bourgh rich. No. But Mrs. Jennings is wealthy and bored. She's like, if Mrs. Bennett got her wish, and all of her daughters were married off in good marriages, and they're all set, and she just has money to chill with and burn, and she's like, all right, who else can I marry? Yep, exactly. I love it. So she also has a good eye for romantic attachments. And she immediately determines that Colonel Brandon is absolutely in love with Marianne, which I totally called the minute I saw him coming on the scene. So proud of myself there. (laughs) And she could tell because of how he listened to Marianne play. The next line you wrote down is absolutely iconic. Oh, yes. (laughs) So Mrs. Jennings has decided that this is an excellent match because he was rich and she was handsome. It still works today. It does. It does. They're A perfect match, except he's old, you know, So, but we'll get there. So (laughs) she is constantly railing on both of them about it. When she's at the house, she's railing on him. When she's at the cottage, she's railing on her. He is pretty indifferent about all of it. And Marianne is kind of embarrassed by it. And I think so. how I'm interpreting this part is that Colonel Brandon is embarrassed that she's making a fuss and Marianne pities him because she thinks that she's only making a fuss because he's old and she wants him to like get married. Yeah. I I also think they all really like Brandon at the Middleton house. Mm -hmm. Like he's a good friend of John Middleton's and they got these two little like pretty girls in their orbit and they were like, Oh, got to marry him off. This sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Cause like you get the sense these people are very bored. They need something to do with their time. Yes, they are bored. And the thing is, like, we've talked a lot about, uh, here we go. Get the stinger ready, grand the economics of dating in Jane Austen. Cha-ching! Don't put a fart sound here. He's going to put a fart sound here. <laughs> we have seen how Marianne feels about love. We've seen how she feels about marriage. She has very strong feelings about romance. On the other hand, you have your Charlotte Lucases. Who would look at a guy like Colonel Brandon and be like, ideal. Mm-hmm. Well, Charlotte Lucas is 27 and we'll get there in a minute, but. Oh, uh, yes, we will. But Colonel Brandon is wealthy, polite, seems respectful. Like by a sensible match standard, he's a great catch. It's just he's also really quiet and serious. And Marianne wants someone who's vivacious. I'm trying to think of a today equivalent, but like, this is such a dumb reference and it's not even up to date, but I'm going to use it anyway. Okay. So have you ever watched the show Dawson's Creek? I have not. We've been over this before. This show, anyone who's watched Dawson's Creek and people can come at me for this. Everyone knows that like Pacey and Joey were the better couple. Just, just knowledge. All right. But there's an episode when they're kind of figuring out their feelings for each other for the first time. And it's complicated because... Joey is Dawson's ex, and Dawson is Pacey's best friend. I'm sorry. Dawson is the name of a character? Yeah, it's Dawson's Creek because they live at a creek, and his name is Dawson. It's possessive. I thought that the creek was named Dawson's Creek. (laughs) It's fair. Because it's a creek. Nope, nope. His name is Dawson. He is a film guy. He's a total tool. 
but he's not sold that way by the show. The show wants us to root for him, which is weird. And Joey is played by Katie Holmes, and she's like the girl next door. They've known each other forever. She's in love with him. They get together. They have a really explosive breakup. They both suck together. And then Dawson's best friend, Casey, falls for Joey, and they have all this insane chemistry, and it's Joshua Jackson, so obviously everyone's in love with him. Anyway, one of the episodes of this show that had a very big effect on me in my teenage years was that Pacey kissed Joey and she freaked out at him. She's like, your best friend is my ex-boyfriend. We can't do this. And then she's having a discussion. They're like away for a weekend and she's having a discussion with someone older. And she's like, yeah, I left my husband and I left him for a guy who died a year later, but I'll never regret it because the other guy, I knew him forever. He was one of my best friends. I loved him. But this next guy made me feel alive. Uh, I see where you're going with this metaphor now. And then Joey realizes that Pacey makes her feel alive. And like the idea of someone just like by their presence making you feel more alive. That's what Marianne wants. Yeah, fair. That was a long rant about Dawson's Creek, but that's that's where I'm at today. <laughs> fair. So I don't know. Alan Rickman would always make me feel alive. Rest his soul. What a beautiful man. But I love, fine. I love Alan Rickman. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So Mrs. Dashwood thinks that Mrs. Jennings is only poking fun because, again, like she couldn't possibly think with a 17-year-old and a 35-year-old that there's any chance of romance there. And Marianne says he's old enough to be her father. And, quote, if he were ever animated enough to be in love, he must have long outlived every sensation of the kind. Oh, my God. This is the thing. So I don't know if you've thought of this comparison yet, but there's like a small amount of Lydia in Marianne. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) And actually, at the end of this chapter, I think is where I say it. Yeah. At the end of this chapter, I made a comparison of her to Mrs. Bennett. Oh, no. And I'll explain. But like, yeah, there's definitely some Lydia in her. It's just like the lack of filter. But at least Marianne knows to keep it like within the family. Sure. She wouldn't say this to his face. She is so savage. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, she is going on right now. So she says that first. Then she asks like, Will men ever be safe from this kind of joking if age and infirmity won't save him? And then Eleanor is like, okay, hang on. Backtrack. He is not infirm. (laughs) Calm down. He still has full use of all of his limbs. And Marianne says, no, just the other day he was complaining of rheumatism. And Mrs. Dashwood says, well, okay, if you think he's old, you must be constantly panicking that I'm going to drop dead at any second. (laughs) Because she's like five years older than him. I know. She's only 40. (laughs) So then, okay, then I had this wild thought. What if Mrs. Dashwood and Colonel Brandon, an older woman? Hmm. I would neither confirm nor deny. Becca will neither confirm nor deny, but listeners, here's my headcanon. Marianne, we're going to meet someone in the next chapter that I think, you know, we'll get there, but... That's a possibility for her. And then meanwhile, Colonel Brandon and Mrs. Dashwood are going to fall in love. I don't actually think that's going to happen, but like, maybe. All right. Marianne clarifies that he might live much longer, but 35 is just far too old to be thinking about getting married. Really quite hilarious. for her. Especially considering like our standards nowadays. Like I'm 26 and I haven't been in a relationship in like... Four years. I mean, it's actually one of the wonderful things about the era we live in, in my opinion, is that like, yeah, people still do get married, but people wait now. Oh, yeah. Like they wait for the right person. And that means they wait a while. Yeah. Eleanor says maybe 35 and 17 
it's too much of an age difference to be thinking about getting married. But if Colonel Brandon were to meet, say, a 27-year-old like Charlotte Lucas, for example, he could totally marry her. And then Marianne is so rude. And she's like, if you're 27 and unmarried, there's just no hope for you. She's so fast with the clap back. She gives no fucks. It's kind of amazing because Eleanor, everything Eleanor says makes total sense. Right. But Marianne's just like, nope, fuck everyone. Yeah, Marianne must think that she's going to get married pretty soon too because she waits too long. Again, she's young and beautiful and smart and talented. Like she has a lot going for her. She can afford to be a little mean. Well, she she continues. She gets worse. So after saying there's no hope for a 27-year-old, she says, you know what? Fine. A 27-year-old could submit to the offices of being a nurse because by that point, like, she just wants a marriage of convenience and he's 35. So, of course, he needs a nurse. I want to say my sister met her fiance when she, I think she was 27 and he was 35. Thank God. And she is not his nurse. Obviously. <laughs> So Eleanor says, you know, you may not believe that people of 27 and 35 are capable of love, but please don't commit Colonel Brandon and his future wife to a sickbed <laughs> because he complained of some pain in his neck and shoulders like uh, like all of us do. And here's where I like want to point out that Austin is writing in like that really authentic bickering between the siblings. It's so good. It was like boom, 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 boom. Oh, yeah. And also... It's because, like, also, Eleanor is as witty as Marianne. She's just less savage. She's yes. way more tactful. She is witty and nice. And Marianne is <laughs> witty and mean. But I love her. Yeah. <laughs> just She is just unforgiving. Yep. I love it. So Marianne says, uh, he talked of flannel waistcoats, <laughs> which is the talk of the old and feeble, because you got to keep warm. Oh, my God. No, wait, wait, wait. What's the modern day equivalent of this? Like wearing a bathrobe? No, no, no like talking about like wearing cardigans. Sure. Or like talking about, um, oh, man, there's like certain items of clothing. Yeah. Because like I definitely wear old person clothes sometimes. What What do I wear that's old? Like, I don't know. Even just wearing a jacket in 60 degree weather. Skinny jeans and side parts. Oh, <laughs> My God, Becca's hip with the discourse that the millennials are getting shit from the Gen Z about our side parts and our skinny jeans. Listen, there's nothing wrong with our side parts and our skinny jeans. There's also nothing wrong if you want to do a middle part or straight leg jeans. Just don't wear low rise jeans and we're all fine. Yeah, as long as nobody tries to bring low rise jeans back, we are all fine. That's the only request I make of the youth. Yeah. So Eleanor's clap back to that is that Marianne would not hate him so much if he had like a high fever and then she says confess Marianne is there not something interesting to you in the flushed cheek hollow eye and quick pulse of a fever and my first response was ah yes and her fine eyes were brightened by the exercise yep I mean I don't think Eleanor is going there but that was immediately where I went in my head because I was like "Ooh." Eleanor is meaning it in a sarcastic way whereas Darcy meant it <laughs> legitimately then Eleanor leaves and Marianne confides to her mom that on the subject of sickness. She thinks Eddie might be sick because he hasn't visited and it's been two weeks. And Mrs. Dashwood says, I was a little more anxious because it seemed like he was hesitant to come when I invited him. And then she asks if Eleanor is expecting him to come. And Marianne's like, uh, probably, but she hasn't said anything to me about it. And Mrs. Dashwood says the last time she spoke with Eleanor, Eleanor said that she probably won't be expecting any guests anytime soon. Marianne is just baffled by both Eleanor and Eddie because she said their goodbyes seemed like perfectly friendly 
And she tried to leave them alone together twice. And both times Eddie had followed her out of the room and that Eleanor needs to be crying more like she's handling it too well. And in this moment, I was kind of like, she has some Mrs. Bennett qualities, like believing them together. Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. But um, I think like Marianne's is more perceptive and subtle, but also, you know, a little miscalculated. This has the vibe for me of when you're not sure whether or not one of your friends broke up with her boyfriend. Mm, Okay. And you think they might have. So the whole group chat is behind her being like, I don't want to bring it up if it's sensitive, but like he seems gone. She seems weirdly okay. I'm confused. Yes, that is definitely what's going on here. I don't think that Marianne has quote tact or um, anything of that kind. No, no, no. She's She doesn't have tact, but she's a bit more perceptive than Mrs. Bennett. Sure. Hello. It's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So chapter nine, the Dashwoods settle into life at Barton and they're always employed with some activity or another. Sir John is always encouraging them to get out and visit family and he's always offering them his carriage. But Mrs. Dashwood's independent spirit overcame the wish of society for her children and they only ever go see people they can walk to. I think this is going to be important. Just putting a pin in it. Okay. Just the fact that Mrs. Dashwood is kind of treasuring something over the wish of society for her children because Pride and Prejudice indoctrinated in me that society is the most important thing. So that's important to me. So about a mile from their cottage, there is an ancient mansion and they often walk by it and they want to go inside. But the owner, they learn, is a little old lady who is too old to mix with society. And I am loving this haunted house vibe. Yes. And I want this old woman to be like a witch. I want her to be like in her house, like casting spells. I know that's not what's going to happen, but like the general vibe is 
mysterious old woman in a big empty mansion. Ooh, love that. Yes. <laughs> the Haunting of Hill House Sense and Sensibility Edition. All right. So because this was a big theme in season one, is this a horror book? Do you want me to answer that? <laughs> no, neither confirm nor deny. I will neither confirm nor deny. Great. So one morning, it's a sunny day in the middle of a rainy spell, and Marianne and Margaret go for a walk, and they're trying to convince Eleanor and Mrs. Dashwood to go, saying it's definitely not going to rain, but they don't go. So they're like frolicking through the hills, and they describe it. There's like some really beautiful descriptions of the hills and the countryside, and it's beautiful, and they're so happy, and they're dancing and saying that there's nothing better than the blue sky, and literally 20 minutes later it downpours upon them. Yep. And like, we've all been there. We've all been there. Like, we've all looked at the sky and been like, yeah, I don't need the umbrella. Yeah. What a nice day for a walk. Go outside immediately. And you like have your phone, you're like going for a run and you have your phone in your hand and it starts pouring and then your phone gets all wet. Yeah. I once walked home from work in like a white dress and oh no, I saw it was raining. It was close enough that there was no public transit that could help me. So I had to walk. Mm -hmm. I put my phone in a plastic bag which I'm glad I did because mm -hmm. it would have been ruined. I had an umbrella that blew inside out and broke from the wind. Oh, no. And so I ended up walking home. It was honestly weirdly visceral and poetic. I was just like, Ugh. Yeah. Walking in the rain in New York was really a, a thing. Yeah. The, New York also, there's, there's like garbage and like slime on the streets. That's true. One time Hannah and I, my roommate Hannah and I left our house and we were like it's such a beautiful day for a walk we're gonna go to a coffee shop and well it's gonna be so nice we got down the block and it started raining so we stopped into like a store and hannah bought like a 50 cent umbrella which immediately broke but we kept it anyway as a memento or whatever and we walked to the coffee shop and we got our coffee so that's what's happening here so they turn back and they go to run back and margaret keeps going marianne slips and tumbles down the hill the drama of it all. <laughs> She's just completely, I like, what do my notes say? I wrote, OMG, because nothing like this ever happens in Jane Austen, at least to my knowledge. You have only read one Jane Austen. I've only read one Jane Austen, but my impression was that nobody ever falls down and like tumbles down an entire hill. This is a different book. This book has a little bit of a different vibe than the last one. It's edgy. It's edgier. It's it's a little bit more wild. It's it's by the sea. It's by the sea. So, <laughs> so a gentleman with a gun and two pointers arrives. And I had questions about the pointers, which are later answered. It turns out pointers are dogs. They are. Yeah. Haven't you ever seen a pointer? They're they're cute. Is that a kind of dog? Yeah. It's like here. Oh, let me... I thought it was the dog's job. They're cuties. They're they're good for hunting pointers. But nowadays they're good for curling up with a little stick on your lap. Are you sending me? Yeah, I sent you a picture. Oh, there it is. <gasps> oh, that is a really good kind of dog. Listeners will post a picture of the dog. Maybe just like a montage on our story of different pointers. Good boys. If you have a pointer, give it a scritch for us. Yeah. And this is why they're called pointers. Because they are buff and pointy on the nose. <laughs> or what? No, he's pointing. He's pointing? Look at his foot. Look at his nose. His toes? His nose. His nose. Oh, he's he's pointing with his nose. Okay. 
So not because his nose is pointy. He's buff and pointy. But because he's telling the guy with the gun where the bird is or where the game is. Something like that, yeah. He's like, oh, this way. I can't pretend to know anything about like hunting dogs. I just know that like pointers were a common hunting dog in this era. So it's not the dog's job? Oh, it is. The the job is a hunt. Like he's out with his dogs because they are helping him hunt right now. But the dog's breed is not necessarily pointer. It's like he's a foxhound or something and he's pointy. He is a pointer. No, no, no. Like, it, the, that's the reason. Like, it's like how certain people who are descended from ancient times from bakers have the last name Baker. Oh, <laughs> okay. So he is, they're two pointer dogs. Yes. They are pointers. Okay. So got it. This man runs up to Marianne, sets down his gun, scoops her up, and brings her into her house and puts her in a chair. Now, Margaret is already there. Like, Margaret did not even stop and look back to her sister when she fell. I think the idea is that she ran home to get help. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I kind of pictured Margaret being like, all right, bye, and then not noticing that Marianne just... Like, the two of them being like, come on, let's race home, and then, like, Marianne falls down a hill and Margaret doesn't even notice. And I'm picturing, like, I'm picturing big hills, so I'm picturing Marianne, like, scraping through the mud, like, tumbling all the way down the hill and just, like, disgusting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty... High drama, high drama. Cool, high drama. So Eleanor and Mrs. Dashwood are just immediately enraptured by this man because one, he showed kindness to Marianne and two, he is hot. So like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to give away who plays this man in the movie, but like, imagine like the sexiest man, like you don't have a sister. No. You do have a brother. I do. But I don't think this metaphor is going to work. So we're going to use Amy. My dog? Yes, your dog. (laughs) So imagine Amy is out and you can't find her anywhere. And like the hottest woman or man you've ever seen comes back cradling Amy in her arms or his arms. Uh And it's like, don't worry, she's fine. She might have hurt her paw a little bit, but I made sure she didn't have to walk all the way home on it. Your face is going bright red right now. I am. That's like the best way to meet someone. Gosh, because you're already like all in a tizzy about Amy being lost or hurt. And then somebody really hot takes her home and is like, it's okay. Oh, man. And so, I mean, in this case, Marianne is meeting the guy as he's being like, don't worry, you're safe. I've got you. And he's just like carrying her home, this beautiful man through the rain. And he's like, buff he's got dogs yeah so that all being said i do not trust this man i don't have any reason not to except for the fact that i was terrible you're like burned by wickham well one he's about to tell us his name is willoughby and i just imagine that jane austen was spurned by someone with a w name and so I don't think that she would name this character Willoughby were he not secretly a dick and two he's not played by Hugh Grant or Alan Rickman, unless I'm mistaking who Hugh Grant plays. I have definitely heard of Willoughby before, so that's not to say that this could not be one of the main two love interests. However, I'm pretty sure that Hugh Grant and Alan Rickman are the ones on the cover of the movie. Now, listeners, this is not my fault. I have just seen (laughs) these things in my scrolling, and I am drawing conclusions that I could be wrong about. He is hot, and I don't trust him, and that's where I'll, I'll leave that. Fair enough. So he's all wet, so he won't sit down. And he says he'd just like to come again tomorrow to see how Marianne is, which is very swoonable. Like, I would also be melting over him. Caring hot man with dogs finds you and saves you in the rain and then says, are you okay? Don't worry, I'll be back tomorrow to check on you. Yeah, just checks all my boxes. Like, like, oh! Yeah. 
So he leaves and everybody falls apart. They're just swooning over him. They're like, he's a hero. He's a knight in shining armor. And Marianne, thinking about how gallant he is, makes her just forget about all the pain in her ankle. The next day, John comes by and they ask if he knows Willoughby. And John is like, I do. He's great. I'll invite him to dinner on Thursday. He specifically says he has a good dog. He specifically points out that he has a good dog and he asks if the dog was with him when they met him. And it said that Marianne could no more tell him about the dogs than he could tell her about his character. Because Marianne asks like, what are you talking about? He's a good, kind fellow. Like, is that all you can say for him? What about his manners on a more intimate acquaintance? What are his hopes and dreams? See, I relate to John here because I, too, know some people only exclusively by how cool their pets are. Yeah. There are some people that I wouldn't recognize if you separated them from their dog. Like, some people only know me because of my dog. I have forgotten what certain people, like, I know in real life look like because their internet presence is just, like, their pet. And I'm like, great, that's all I care about. Especially in the age of coronavirus because if you're out walking... Like, especially in the wintertime, like, there was one time I had my hat and my mask on and I was walking. So, like, nobody would really know who I was and I didn't have my dog with me. And so a neighbor who I often greet, he's walking his dog and I'm walking my dog. We often, like, our dogs are friends. His dog ran up to me and I was like, oh, my God, hi, Teddy. Like, love you. And my neighbor was like, how did you know his name was Teddy? And I was like, oh, hello, it's me, Amy's owner. (laughs) And he was like, oh. Because, you know, we know each other by our dogs. Yeah, it's it's, it's the way you do it. Feel that. This is the dog episode. So (laughs) Eleanor asks, but like, who is he? Does he have a house at Allenham? Allenham. Allenham? Allenham. Let's call it Allenham. Should we look it up so our British listeners don't yell at us? All right, let's see. Um, Hang on. I'm going to do how to pronounce. How to pronounce Allenham. Wait, wait, wait. It might have spoilers. I'm pretty sure it's probably Allenham. Because I live near Binghamton, which is spelled Binghamton. Let's call it Allenham for now. Okay. So Eleanor asks if he has a house at Allenham, which is where he said he was from. And it turns out that he doesn't. He, in fact, is staying with the old lady at Allenham Court, which is very exciting because that means we're going to get to meet the witchy old woman. And I'm very excited about the haunted house. So then... (laughs) John says that Eleanor should keep an eye out for him, that he is worth catching, and not to give him up to Marianne, quote, in spite of all this tumbling down hills, and that Marianne, if she keeps flirting with him, will make Brandon very jealous if she's not careful. Now, Mrs. Dashwood, in this moment, is a queen, and says that neither of her daughters are going to be catching anyone, (laughs) and men are quite safe with them, which I loved. She's like, excuse me. That's like such weird language to be using and she's calling him out. Mm -hmm. He says that one time at a party, Willoughby danced until 4 a.m., which of course makes Marianne swoon because, quote, whatever be his pursuits, his eagerness in them should show no moderation and leave him no sense of fatigue. He's a passionate man. He's, ooh, Oh, oh, whatever his pursuits. I know what you mean, Marianne. (laughs) Uh. So John says, quote, 
oh, you will be setting your cap at him now and never think of poor Brandon. And Marianne says, I don't like that phrase, setting your cap or making a conquest or any of that stuff. And John doesn't really get it. He says, well, you'll make conquests enough one way or another. Poor Brandon, he is quite smitten already and he is very worth setting your cap at in spite of all this tumbling about and spraining of ankles, which is gross because he's saying that she's doing that all to get men. And um, that's the end of that chapter. And at this point, I do not know who to root for because I really feel bad for Brandon. How's my face? The neutral. It's a very neutral. All right, good. This is like my number one skill set. It's like law degree. Yep. Trained opera. Keeping my face neutral. (laughs) That's Becca's resume right there. That's it. Yeah. All right. And that brings us to Becca's study questions. All right. So are you ready? I am. So we've met Colonel Brandon. I want to get your initial thoughts. We've obviously, you've talked a bit about him, but I want to get your general impression of him as a character at this point in the book. So I think he's the underdog. Again, he has not said anything, but I think he's very sweet. I think that he is proper and kind and is not messing with anyone and is not being annoying. And I think that that's going to make him go unnoticed by our women. I like him though. So question two. They talk a lot about the age difference between Marianne and the potential suitor in Colonel Brandon. Now, you and I talked a lot in Pride and Prejudice about how Wickham is a predator. Yes. Oh. Yes. I'm bringing this up because I want to talk about it. I think it's important to sort of tease this out and talk about it and draw out what's problematic about a big age difference and also what's accepted in the Austin Times, and also how this feels different than Lydia and Wickham or Georgie and Wickham. Yes. Okay. This is interesting. This is a good point. So Lydia and Georgiana were both 15, which, you know, legal age nowadays being, what, 17 or 18? I don't Mm know. Then I think also probably being 17. No, it was younger. I mean, I don't know if there was this like specific age of consent in England in this time period, but Wickham didn't do anything illegal. He didn't. I mean, Georgie was not like out yet, but Lydia was. So like technically, uh, yes, technically that is legal. And their age difference is even less because he's only 30. Right? Well, we didn't we didn't get an exact age. Right, but we like assumed he was somewhere around twice her age. Yeah. Seventeen to thirty-five is like a few years more of an age difference than that. And um I don't know why I don't feel as gross about it. Like, oh man. Well, there's a couple things. Uh-huh. I would say like nowadays seventeen to thirty-five year old, I would be very grossed out by. Like I wanna like tease this out. Cause I, I just think it's worth mentioning because it's something that we don't about always in talking about these books. So I do think it's problematic in that sense. I do think by the standards of the time period, it's less problematic. But I think what's not gross about it, and the reason it's not gross in the same way Pride and Prejudice is gross, is the power at play, the dynamics. So like, yes, Brandon is wealthy. And yes, Marianne is not. But Marianne is extraordinarily self-possessed. And as of right now, I don't want to like spoil as we go forward. And like, I'm not going to like tell you what happens. But like what we've seen right now, all we've seen of Brandon is that he seems to have taken an interest in her. He's not forcing himself on her. He's not manipulating her. He has just seen her, 
and noticed her. And other people have started saying that he likes her, but he hasn't said anything. Yes, but like no one disputes the fact that she's somewhat young for him, but also no one disputes the fact that even though they like prefer them to be together, this is ultimately Marianne's choice. Yes, that is good. And Brandon's choice. Yeah. And what we saw with Wickham was taking young impressionable girls and lying to them and manipulating them and ruining their reputations with sex and disgracing them either because they had money he wanted or to punish someone who was close to them or simply because he was bored and it was easy. There's a real difference in the power dynamic in those characters. Whereas here, I think that at the very least, everyone is like on notice right. of everything happening. Yeah. I, th- I Yeah. So basically, the difference is that Wickham sucks and Colonel Brandon does not. Yes. The difference is that Wickham sucks and Brandon has not given us any reason to believe he sucks as of right now. Yes. Okay. Interesting. I just wanted to bring it up because I feel like it's something reading the Jane Austen novels in general. We talk, we don't talk about how young these girls are all the time, but I wanted to bring it up because he is quite older. We talk so much about Wickham being a predator. Sure. And I thought we should also talk about the fact that this is an older man who has interest in a teenage girl. Yeah, that it's definitely a little bit weird. And I hadn't thought about it because he seemed pretty sweet. But like, I'm really glad that he's a lot older than her because in my mind, when I was trying to remember who was in this movie, I was like, Alan Rickman's way older than all of these characters. So like, I don't know what. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I want to be clear, like for any of our listeners, like I'm not like making a judgment on the characters themselves. I'm simply like making an observation about the time period, the world at that time and Austin's perspective on it. But there's no question like in the Austin era that like a 17 year old was of marriageable age. Right. Exactly. It is an age difference but not one that necessarily has to be dictated by crazy power dynamics in the same I see, way. I see, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad that you brought it up because I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. Just worth mentioning, we don't support men in this century dating women who are 18 years younger than them if they are not women yet. But I think that there's a sort of consensus on the part of Austin and the context of her world that Marianne is a, is a woman. So mm-hmm. just worth noting. Yeah. What do you think of the mention of Eddie? So I really agree with Mrs. Dashwood. I think that they've only been there two weeks and Marianne needs to chill. I don't sense anything fishy yet unless like his sisters have taken him hostage. But like, I'm pretty sure that he just isn't visiting yet. All right. And what's your initial impression of Willoughby? Hot. I just and he's given me no reason not to trust him. And I was swooning right along with everybody else. I'm just on guard. I think that he is definitely a suitor. And I think that Marianne is already like ha- literally head over heels for him. <laughs> she doubles. I'm excited that he has dogs and that the dogs were mentioned. And I just I think he's hot. I think that he's kind and very gentlemanly. All right. Last question. Brandon or Willoughby, are you team Brandian or team Maraby? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know yet. I think Again, after I finished these chapters, I was like, I do not know whose side I'm on. Hmm. And there's pros and cons of both sides. Right now, I don't know what the cons of Willoughby are, but I think that there will be cons. There will be cons. I love that. There will be cons. Willoughby love, Willoughby not love. (laughs) 
So I think right now I'm team Brandian. 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 I said it's Brandian and Maraby. If you want to come up with different names, you can. Brandian or Maraby. <laughs> I like them both. Gosh, I think right now I'm team Brandian. Oh, no. Oh, maybe I'm team Maraby. It's hard. This is a hard one. <laughs> it's hard. I'm going to be I'm going to be on the fence. Ooh, can I be team Brandaby? Is that that they become a thruple? That would just be the just the, the gays. Oh, oh, just the, the two men, you know. Yeah, I don't really think that that's going to happen. I'm just too on the fence right now to make a decision. Well, we already found out Brandon's not so gay. Yeah, it's canon. He's not so gay. <laughs> so not going to work out there unless they're saying that because they want us to think that he's not so gay. I know, listeners, I know that's not what it meant. I'm just <laughs> being really on brand right now. Yes, no, no, no. I love it. I love it. So currently the answer to... Team Maraby versus Team Brandian is to be Team Brandaby. Brandaby. I'm just on the fence. I can't make a decision. All right. That brings us to our standbys. Funniest quote. She only had two daughters, both of whom she had lived to see respectably married, and she had now, therefore, nothing to do but to marry all the rest of the world. Questions moving forward. All right. We've got lunch or dinner, whatever meal John is going to invite Willoughby to. I want to know what's going to happen. I think I'm too indoctrinated with Pride and Prejudice because I'm assuming that Willoughby and Brandon have some sort of beef, but I'm probably just thinking of Darcy and Wickham. So like I could be wrong about that, but like I want to know if they know each other. I don't think that they actually would have beef because I think that John Middleton would know and not invite him to dinner if he thought it was going to cause problems. I don't know. I have questions about all of that. I am curious now about Eddie and like whether or not he's coming back. Okay. Who wins the chapters? Mrs. Jennings. Ah, oh, yes. What a queen. I love her. She's a queen. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Me I'm too. So happy. This has been so much joy. Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. Molly, how are you feeling? I'm feeling excited because we we took a break in between recording episode two and episode three. And so I finally get to keep reading and I'm so excited. I'm so excited for you to keep reading. And listeners, if you want to read along with us for next episode, we're going to be reading chapters 10 through 12 of Sense and Sensibility. And Molly, you should also read chapters 10 through 12 of Sense and Sensibility. What if I just didn't? What if I just showed up to the record without reading it? (laughs) You'd just be like, and then... Colonel Brandon grabbed Willoughby's ass and they were like, you know what, Marianne? We've decided we are going to live together as one and you should join us as our beard collectively and we're going to have all the pointers in the world. (laughs) Oh my God, the doghouse. They can call their house the doghouse. Y'all, it is 9.30 p.m. and Becca and I are grandpas and we both are loopy. Woozy. Oh, All right, so that means it's bedtime. So good night, listeners. Until next time, stay proper. And find yourself someone who's just going to scoop you up and carry you down the mountain. And who has dogs. And who has dogs. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.